The scripture reading today is from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you will in turn deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Good morning, City Church. It is with great joy and honor to be invited to be a part of this series that elevates the stories of women in the Hebrew Bible. This morning, I'm going to be talking about the story of the conversion of Rahab the prostitute. Now, this story has often been glorified, but I think that there is some historical revision that may need to take place because there are some disturbing details that have been glossed over over time. So what I'd like to do this morning is dive in a little deeper and bring into view Rahab's grief and pain that has likely been silenced as this story has been retold again and again. Revisiting Rahab's story in this way is important. And after this sermon, I hope that it will prompt us to revisit our own histories too and question if the glorious history that we've been taught has been has also glossed over the pain and grief experienced by the 10%. Perhaps in doing so, we'd uncover their stories 
and bring redemption to the silencing over their voices for so long. Now, let's get, let's get started. Some of you might know this, uh, but like Rahab, I too am a convert to Christianity. When I was 12, I was invited to attend a church in Hong Kong founded by Baptist missionaries from America. Now, I kept going because it was fresh and it was exciting and there were kids my age, their Bibles were really colorful and their worship was a lot like going to a rock concert. Yes, I know, very, very superficial reasons. But I felt a really great sense of belonging there, which is really hard to find when your parents are immigrants. See, as a child of immigrants, though I was born in Hong Kong and it felt like home to me, to others, I didn't quite belong. And so this group of Americans in Hong Kong also stuck out as former, as foreigners. And for me, it seemed like they also understood what it felt like to not belong. And so another bonus of going to this fun church with hit music was uh, not only this sense of belonging, but also that I was being exposed to this more personal expression of faith. And it was sold to me as the expression of faith that would guarantee my salvation. My mother's tradition was, by comparison, cold and wouldn't encourage the forming of a personal relationship, the kind of personal relationship I needed with Jesus that would change my heart so that I could be saved, so that I could go to heaven. No, for this church, my family's own faith practices would not lead them to heaven unless they too converted. If they didn't convert, death would be the end of them. So naturally, this news scared me. I love my family and I didn't know which was scarier. The thought that I wouldn't see them in heaven after I died or the thought that they might perish in hell. So at the age of 12 or 13, with the encouragement of my pastor, I made it my mission to convert my family. And I, I saw Rahab as an inspiration to that conversion process. You see, I was, I was taught about Rahab's quick thinking when she hid Joshua's spies and sent the king's officials out of the city on a wild goose chase so that they wouldn't get caught. I was taught that Rahab recognized that, that the spies were God's people and displayed great faith when she took a gamble and she struck a deal with them. I was taught that she acted with courage, keeping the spies safe, never reporting their plans to the king or his officials. And because of that, she and her family were saved from extermination. And so it was her courage that inspired me and convinced me that it was on me alone to save my family. Now we, we can read this story and similarly take inspiration from Rahab and have the same faith that our family too can be saved from the fiery pits of hell. But if we did that, I'm not sure we would be doing Rahab's story justice. We wouldn't be honoring her story if we didn't ask, her, if we didn't ask ourselves why she made choices that would save her family alone without any regard for her neighbors. To understand what's going on, 
let's try to get a better picture of who Rahab was beyond what the text tells us, beyond her occupation as a prostitute and her location and the location of her home in the outer wall of the city. I have found this beautiful, this beautifully illustrated uh, replica of uh, artist interpretation of the city of Jericho. And uh, Rahab's home would have been uh, the star shape right here in the brick wall. And uh, as you can see, uh, it is Jericho is a fortified city. So I'm gonna talk a little more about that. So based on these two details alone, straight away we can see that she and her family literally lived as marginalized people in the city because they were living in the physical fringes of the city proper. And my guess is that it was probably because of her occupation. And now while things are different today, it's important for us to recognize that more than likely, Rahab was not a prostitute by choice. More than likely, this was a line of work that she, she went into because she'd run out of options. Some commentaries that I read in preparation for this sermon noted that she may have been forced into prostitution to pay back debt. It's possible that her family had found themselves drowning in debt, and so she was sold into debt slavery, which was not an uncommon practice back then. We also, we can't ignore that living in the city walls make her, made her and her family more vulnerable to the outside. Now you can see, like I said, that the city of Jericho is a fortified city with walls surrounding it um, as a form of defense. But if your home, like Rahab's, is within the wall itself, then your home would be the first hit when there is an attack on the city. So I have to wonder if her living in a wall as a prostitute made her an outcast to the community and also vulnerable to the outside. I wonder, did that influence her decision to help the spies? Maybe to her, they were her way out. Let's talk about the spies for a minute because I think these spies knew exactly what they were doing when they spent the night in Rahab's home. I mean, aside from the obvious, their intention was to scope out the city, right? They were probably strategizing, looking for weak spots in the fortress, and they might've been hoping to get some insider info. And really the best person to be getting this information from is from someone who knows all the business of the city and from someone who isn't especially connected to the city and would easily give that information up. Now Rahab, being a prostitute, is likely privy, privy to all sorts of intel since, let's be real, she's probably serviced men from all levels of military and government in the city. Also, she was an outcast. So she was probably the person they would, they could most likely form an alliance with. And since she already knew the word on the street that they that uh, Joshua's men had conquered many cities in the surrounding area, and she heard that everyone was melting in fear because of them, perhaps, perhaps the spies thought this would be the perfect plan to get her to work with them. 
supply some intel even, continue to snuff out suspicions of an, uncom uh, of an upcoming attack. And in exchange, they would protect her and her family. So Rahab, when you consider all these details, Rahab really didn't have much of a choice. She lived in the city walls. Her family would have been the first killed once Joshua's army came through. If Rahab had alerted the, the king's men because of, because of where she was situated in the city, she and her family would have been killed in the attack anyway. So desperate, the only, she only had one option and it was to beg Joshua's men to have mercy on her family and in return, she would keep their presence a secret and go along with their plan. Now, when we look at these contextual clues and, and consider this difficult choice that Rahab had to make, we can read this story as a story of faith, or we can also see that this was a story of colonization. This was a story of a group of people invading another land and wiping out all its inhabitants. And in this story, the only people they saved are those who feared the invaders. The only people they saved are those who went along with their plan of invasion. The only people they saved were those who stated their same beliefs. Does this story sound familiar? Because to me, this story hits close to home because I've read this story before in my own history. I've read this very thing happen to native Filipinos before Spanish occupation. And I know that this very thing, this very thing has happened on US soil and it still happens today in the gentrification of neighborhoods. So why? Why is this story that seemingly condones the brutal conquest and colonization of foreign land, the genocide of unbelievers, all in the name of Christianity, why is this story in the Bible? Maybe this story is meant to put a mirror in front of our own histories, to question if this nation's origin story was really as glorious as our history makes it out to be. Maybe we're supposed to expose the mess of our history the same way we have done with this story every time we read it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but maybe it's time that we confronted that mess. Back to Rahab. I wonder if she chose to help Joshua's men because she was hoping for new beginnings for herself and her family. Just like the new beginning God was giving the Israelites. She might have been hoping that she could start fresh, debt-free, and finally be included in a community, no longer living as an outcast. And now I can completely understand Rahab's desire for belonging in this way, because my family too were social outcasts. I can understand a desire for a fresh start in a new community because even I was excited for that when I moved here 10 years ago. 
Well, let's see then. Did Rahab get that chance for a fresh start and have build a sense of belonging with this new community? The next time that we hear of Rahab is in Joshua 6, 25, where it says, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. Because she hid the men Joshua had sent to sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab and her family are spared and get to live amongst the Israelites. But you know, I'm not so sure if this was the redemption and fresh start that she was hoping for, because as you can see clearly in the text, Rahab is still only remembered as Rahab the prostitute. She may have gone to live, but her past followed her and she's labeled as a prostitute the rest of the, for the rest of her life. She might've had to, she might've even had to continue working as a prostitute if there was no other work that she could do to support her family. So we have to ask ourselves, is that true salvation then? Would that have been the restoration that she was hoping for? This story is messy. There is glory in this story, but there's also grief. And when I studied this story further, I found myself mourning with Rahab the things that I lost in my own con conversion. Rahab lost her people, her neighbors, fellow Canaanites, everyone she knew. How was it okay for her to be saved and not the other Canaanites? Because in the end, she lost a sense of her cultural identity when she converted and allied with the Israelites. And for what? If her identity as a prostitute is how she's remembered even now, today, thousands of years later. But there is good news in this mess because this isn't the only way that Rahab is remembered in the Bible. How she comes to be remembered is the beauty in the ashes of this story. You see, neither Rahab or Joshua's men could conceive a way to live that would include the Canaanite people. The only way forward for Joshua was to wipe everyone out in the city of Jericho and to claim that land as their own. But we see that in the end, God's promise extended to not only the people of Israel, but also the Gentiles, and that includes the Canaanites. We see God deliver the good news through the life of Jesus and through his death and resurrection that God's redemption is for everyone. God's grace is for everyone. God's restoration is for everyone. And as we continue to read the Bible, we see God in Rahab's story too. We see beauty in how she's honored in James chapter two, verse 25, where Rahab the prostitute is remembered as righteous. And in Hebrews eleven thirty-one, Rahab the prostitute's story is listed as one of many acts of faith by God's people. And I know, I know you're saying, but Rahab, 
was still listed as Rahab the prostitute. But see, the importance of her story appears elsewhere too. And that is in the gospel narrative. We see Rahab in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, in Jesus' genealogy. Rahab is listed as one of only four women mentioned in the entire genealogy. She becomes a part of the gospel story. She is remembered as being a part of bringing the gospel to fruition, literally having a hand in the birth of Jesus Christ by appearing in his genealogy. She is remembered in Jesus's lineage as simply Rahab, without any labels, without any anything that would preconceive her worth. She is remembered as the mother of Boaz, an ancestor of Jesus the Messiah. We, as a society, might struggle to see the truth of our past, and so we bury it, and we retell fairy tale versions of it. But God doesn't bury it. God honored a woman who likely made a choice fearing for her life. Her inclusion in Christ's story was an act to redeem her personhood, even when people throughout history didn't do it. Her mention in the genealogy showed her belonging in Christ's story, her recognition as a beloved child of God, and even when everyone else stubbornly hung on to her label, she appeared as simply Rahab. The story of Rahab reminds us of what this society puts on women, especially marginalized women like Rahab, black and brown women, immigrant women, trans women, women with disabilities. This story reminds us of what we put these women through before we allow them the dignity of living amongst us as equals. You see, Rahab appears at our borders, sacrificing everything to ensure the safety of their children. Rahab appears in the history of this nation as indigenous women who have had to make the, the hard choice between conversion or death as they deny themselves for the lives of their families. Rahab appears in the lives of black women who are made to endure the policing of their bodies and their speech and who are pressured to convert to dominant respectability standards just to survive. Rahab appears in Asian women who are expected to be stereotypically submissive and complacent and just follow the plan. Stories like these have forced the Rahabs of our past into a colonized faith. But our God is not a colonizer. Our God does not call us to fit a Christian prototype before we can be restored. Our God does not call us to fit the standard male or female prototype or a family prototype with a house, job, car, and two and a half kids. Our gospel doesn't for, force us into a box of conformity and then labels us as glorified, 
righteous or even hashtag blessed. No, our gospel is a good news that comes after suffering. It comes after 40 days in the desert of being tempted. Our good news comes after betrayal by people we call family. Our good news comes after being nailed to the cross. Our good news comes in the silence that follows when oppressors attempt to hide and bury our stories in tombs. Our good news comes when we are willing to challenge the lies of our glorious history and confront the mess, to look for God in the ashes and the ruins. Our good news comes when we are willing to resurrect those untold stories, when we give voice to our silence history, because like Rahab, the good news is that we are part of this bigger gospel story and we will see more of God revealed when we platform the stories of the many Rahabs that have been both buried and that walk amongst, amongst us today. So I pose this question for our response this morning. What is our story? What is the revisionist history that we owe to the 10% whose stories have been glossed over? What would we need to do to recover those stories? Who would we need to hear from? What books would we have to read? What is the history we'd like for our, our future generation to take with them? Let's reach into the ashes of our past and hidden present to resurrect those stories so that we can weave them into the beauty of God's kingdom that God is writing into our future for us right now. Thank you for, for listening and hearing this revisionist story of Rahab's. Let us pray. Dear God, uh, God, I'm, I'm thankful for history. I'm thankful for books that are written and stories told. And I'm thankful that, that as we read them now in the future, that you graciously give us opportunity to reread them, to recover you, to recover your work, recover how you have moved in the lives of the 10%. God, I pray that we are inspired by, by this revisionist, this exercise of revisionist history and, and have the courage to face our own history, to recover our stories, to, to recover the stories that have been untold, God, to hear the voices of the silenced. We thank you, God, for your grace and the opportunity to do that now as we anticipate, God, your face being revealed to us more and more into the future, into your kingdom being realized. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, City Church. Once again, I hope that one day I will be able to do this in person with you. But until then, peace. Thank you, Mira, for bringing us that important message.